0: welcome to the progressive murder mystery podcast who killed donald t johnson we have followed our villain to australia asia america and iceland but the lure of girls and gambling have now taken him to paris where hopefully he will become a victim once more but how will his victims gain their revenge Let's find out in Episode 8, The French Connection.
1: There are grave concerns for the safety of businessman tycoon Donald T. Johnson, who has been missing for the last three days. He was last seen hosting a rooftop party at his Portland Place residence, on Thursday evening where he appeared to be in good spirits. 200 guests were in attendance, including members of the Melbourne Crown Casino Board and various board members from his Macau-based casinos, including business associates from Las Vegas. It was first thought that he may have left the country by his private jet, but investigations have confirmed that the jet is still in its hangar at Heathrow. Investigations will continue. (music)
0: They say that nowadays, when people from overseas think of Paris, the women think of clothes, and the men think of casinos and showgirls. The Moulin Rouge became famous because of the can-can, whereas the Follies got its saucy reputation from the stripper, Josephine Baker. But that was way back in 1926. (laughs) These days you can see more nudity on any beach in the world. But even though Las Vegas has taken over as the capital of girls and gambling, the glamour of the Parisian showgirl has remained, along with the excitement of the French casinos. It
2: was the combination of those two, the follies and casinos, that brought me and Claude together. I had been a dresser the Folies back in 1995, when their hit review Femme 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 was playing to packed houses, so I was part of the glamour, without being glamorous. Although Claude was not a smart man, he was thorough, and was valued as an accountant at the Casino Cercle Anglais au close to the folies. We were far from wealthy, but certainly comfortable and in need of nothing. By 2002, many of the smaller casinos were being bought out by businessmen. Donald Johnson had major shares in a couple of small boutique-style casinos all over France, and by now Claude was traveling from one to the other, auditing the books. He was delighted with the extra responsibility, and we both enjoyed the higher salary. I gave up work and we began a family. Giselle was a beautiful baby, and I was a happy and contented wife and mother. But it did not last long. Claude was away a good deal, and when he was finally home, would be tired and find Giselle's nighttime crying irritating. He was also worried. While DJ spent a good deal of time gambling in London or Macau, when he was in Paris, he would party. And when he partied, he needed girls. What I did not know was that, as a local Parisian with knowledge of the police, Claude was expected to supply them. <laughs>
3: Yes, Claude supplied the names, and I supplied the transport. I had been employed as a chauffeur for a number of years, and now I was picking up girls and taking them to wherever the party was being held. I was young myself, and it took me a while to realize that many times this was against the wishes. And by the time I did, I was being paid a great deal of money, and preferred to look the other way. I'm not part of it, especially as on some occasions I was no better than Angela.
2: Claude had begun gambling, small amounts at first, but it gradually grew. Then one day in 2012 he came home distraught, admitting that he owed more than our house was worth. We sold our home and moved to a small pension de famille, but that did not pay for all the debts. Of course, I was angry. eh bien sûr, I forgave him. He was a loving husband and father. But by 2015, Giselle has nearly ten years and our son georges just seven. I realized that our marriage was in real trouble. Claude was rarely home and even less contributed any money to our family need. So I had gone back to work.
4: Giselle was a good, bright student, a little on the quiet side. She had few friends. She was in my grade 9 class right up to the time she dropped out, just before the end of year exams. Naturally, I followed it up with the education department, and I believe they contacted her mother but her mother said she was legally able to leave school.
2: I did not mind at first when I learned that Giselle wanted to leave school. She was a bright student with excellent math skills, inherited from her father, I guess, and there were plenty of companies ready to take on trainee accountants. I spoke with Claude and he said he could take her with him when he visited the different casinos as part of his work schedule. He could teach her the rudiments of accounting and finance analysis at a practical level.
5: Giselle had always worshipped her father. Apparently, whenever there was a conflict with her mother, and as a teenager there were many, he would side with his daughter, calling her ma petite colombe, his little dove. I will never forgive myself for making things worse, although truly I had only tried to help.
2: Of course, as a young teen, she was enamoured with the glamour of the shows, and with her looks and blossoming figure, she had plenty of invitations to become a dancer. Not with the Follies, they were always strict with their age requirements. But in the back streets of Paris, you can always find casinos needing cabaret acts. And as usual, it seemed that... The less talent the girls had, the tinier the costume, and the greater opportunity to augment your wage with uh, private performances.
5: Giselle pestered me to try out as a showgirl. She said the money would ease the pressures at home. Finally, I gave in and I suggested she try out in one of the out of town cabarets for the casino. I spent time with her whenever I could teaching her the fundamentals of step She was a beautiful, graceful girl, a quick learner, and very soon was considered an asset in the chorus line. And in this, the fates were unkind.
3: By now it was apparent uh, to all of us that Claude had uh, a gambling problem. He was constantly trying to borrow money, then uh, suddenly, for a while, he went quiet. It turned out that Zizier had picked up all of the outstanding debts, but we all knew what that meant. Many of the casino employees had experienced that kind of generosity, to their regret.
2: Giselle had not told me she had been learning some of the dance routines until Michel came to me and told me, there was an opportunity for her to actually dance in the corps de danse pour crazy orsa paris what could i do what could i say giselle would never have forgiven me if i had refused her the opportunity the very night she was in the
5: front line of le bon troupe at casino de Vienne was the night that Donald Johnson was slumming it at one of the front tables. What happened next was simply a tired old replay of how young girls were found, recruited, trained, used and abused until health and looks were gone. The rest was like an old tune that I had seen played too many times.
2: Yes, the rest may be history because it has all been played before. But not for me. Now it was my daughter. She was not only
5: a beautiful girl; she was a natural dancer, and being so young, she was pampered by the others in the troupe. They covered for her when she was out with him. I swear I didn't know until it was too late.
3: Yes, there uh, had been a uh, good reason that uh, Claude uh, had his garden. His debts under control, uh, anyone who knows how Johnson operated can guess what happened as uh, he had uh, no scruples. Claude was uh, uh, offered an easy option uh, uh, he either encouraged his daughter to receive dj's advances or his mounting debts would leave him into prison or worse
5: I tried to intervene, I swear it. I told her stories of other girls in similar situations, but she was flattered by all the attention. The gifts, the fancy living.
3: It was a story uh, I had seen played out many times before. He saw her fancied her and claimed her for himself. With her father now acting as a pimp, uh, arranging for her availability. It would have begun with the, the, the flattery, special attention, gifts, money, and alcohol. Then encouragement to experiment a little with the light drugs, slowly going down the ladder to addiction. She was his personal trophy for as long as she excited him, uh, until the next virgin with the same appeal came his way.
2: Almost overnight, she changed. She seemed to suddenly stop being a beautiful young girl to a. well, a harpy. Makeup, clothes, language, all became different, and in my eyes, coarse and degrading. She began to have temper tantrums, a
5: real diva. Through DJ's influence, she got special billing. But she squabbled with the other girls. They began to hate her. Then she became withdrawn, sullen, uncommunicative. In the end, I had to let her go.
3: But by then, she was hooked. Needed alcohol, needed the drugs, and her appearance suffered. She was no longer a place, and... DJ did what he always did, just pushed her aside like a, a used wag.
2: I found out later that she went to her father for help, appealed to him to intervene, but he was just as desperate for money and drugs as she was, and simply arranged for her to be passed on to one of DJ's cronies. By now, both Giselle and Claude had moved out completely. I had my own worries bringing up the two small boys as a single mother. The only good thing was that no longer was I hampered with Claude's gambling debts. One day, I got enough nerve to go to the authorities and tell them that my underage daughter was being given drugs. I was told to go home, and they would look into it and even more worries. A hit-and-run driver knocked little Georges off his bike when coming home from school one day. He was quite badly hurt, so needed long-stay hospital care, which meant more time off from work.
3: Claude told me that Georges' bike accident was... uh, it had not been an accident at all. He was also told to encourage his wife not to make a fuss. They argued, fought, and in a drunken stupor, he beat her up badly.
2: Yes, he was horrified at what he had done. Too many people had seen and heard him. There was no escaping a jail sentence. He was charged and convicted, but never said a word in his own defence. I never saw him again.
4: I met up with Giselle one evening by accident. Once a week, I used to help out with a bit of counseling at a homeless shelter. We had limited funds and far too many customers, so could only provide a 24-hour turnaround support for one full day and night before being turned back onto the street. One night, Giselle came in. She was barely 18 but look sixty. Even so, she was selling her body as best she could in order to survive. I was not sure whether to inform her mother, who was already doing it tough and could barely afford to put food on the table for the two boys without taking back her drug-dependent daughter. I made inquiries about the father, but he seemed to have disappeared. Adrienne wouldn't speak of him, and others said he was in jail. Some even said he had taken his own life.
2: There was a parents' night at the school, and I made a special effort to clean myself and the boys up in order to attend. It was heartbreaking to meet with some of Giselle's former schoolmates, who were about to graduate, with exciting lives in front of them. They asked about her, and I simply lied. I said she had gone overseas and was doing well. When I met up with Victor, her maths teacher... I tried the same story, but he looked at me directly and asked if I really knew where she was. Of course I did not. He told me he could help me find her, but that I must prepare for the worst. I was to go to the homeless shelter the next Wednesday night. It was the night Giselle usually came in. I got a neighbor to look after the boys so that I could go. I wish now I had not... I could barely recognize my own daughter. And what was worse, she was so far gone, she did not recognize me at all. I helped her to bathe, found clean clothes from the mission, and tried to feed her soup. But she had a fever and was talking gibberish. Then she began to cry out in pain. <laughs> There were no doctors, so I called Victor.
4: If anything, the girl was in a worse state than before. Dirty, skinny, and obviously in pain. We thought at first it was because she needed a fix, but we soon found out we were wrong. She began to scream in agony, and then we saw the blood. She was having a miscarriage.
2: She died in my arms. And for a brief moment I was glad. Her needs would have been so great, and my ability to provide so limited.
5: The world went around the dances like wildfire, partly as gossip, but partly as a warning. I couldn't imagine the suffering that poor woman was going through, to lose a daughter that way. And, of course, I felt a sense of my own guilt. I knew that André had been fond of Giselle, So, went to see him that night, to tell him. I had not expected his response.
3: I went to the funeral. Many of the girls from the Leifembourg too were there. It was a sad, subdued affair. When we left the chapel, Adrienne introduced me to Victor. She said uh, he had been a special friend and... uh, and helped her through the ordeal. He asked me where I lived, and asked uh, if he may come and visit me that evening. Adrienne was almost catatonic at the funeral. It was obvious
4: the only thing to keep her going was her young boys, and Georges still needed a lot of special care.
3: That evening, as promised... Victor turned up at my apartment, and he asked me if uh, I knew that Cloud had been released from prison. Again, I was guarded, but I uh, told him that I had not seen Cloud for years. And uh, he had long gone stopped working for DJ, because quite honestly, he was useless at the end. The only good thing was that uh, he'd given up gambling. His dog habit was his only obsession. Victor asked me if we could go and visit him. I liked André.
4: I could see he was totally sickened with what he had heard and seen in DJ's employ. He told me of horrific stories similar to Giselle. Yet money and power meant that DJ could get away with anything. We talked a good deal that night at a local bistro. Then went to see Claude. what was left of him. For he too was no more than skin and bone. He didn't recognize me or Andre. He was simply ready to sell his soul for his next fix.
2: The two young men came to me that night and asked me if I wanted to see my husband again. They told me of his condition. They said there was no hope for his recovery. Only a matter of time before he would simply waste away. He had no means of support other than begging, and I was barely able to support myself and my two boys. I had just buried my daughter, and soon would be doing the same for my husband.
3: Something happened that night. You may call it an epiphany, if you like, but I just recognized that I had reached a turning point. Enough was enough. For years I had seen the parade of beautiful young women flaunted through the door of this bastard, besotted with flattery. It is true encouraged to enjoy the high life of drink and drugs to make them uninhibited and exciting, but kicked out to fend for themselves the moment a newer, fresher face of the body came along. They would be passed along, down an endless chain of men, who are in turn poorer and warfare, until, like Giselle, they were trampled into the gutter. Yes, I had seen enough.
4: I had never been a particularly healthy boy, and had grown up not much better as a man. That was why I had chosen teaching as a profession, and why I had never sought the company of women, or considered having a family. But I began to cherish the time I spent with Adrienne and her boys. They became my family. For the first time since childhood, I knew what it was to feel love. Sadly, it didn't last long. I think, deep down, I knew I was not long for the world, and that was becoming obvious each time I went for a medical. Needless to say, I was not a rich man either. But with little to spend my money on, I had saved most of what I had earned. I tried to spend it on Adrienne, but she was very proud and still grieving. Yet... I wanted to give her a gift, a lasting gift. One night I saw her gazing at a family photo, taken just before Claude began to work for DJ. She began to sob quietly, but her body was racked with grief and regret. I decided that the best gift I could give her would be revenge. The next time I saw André, I asked him if he ever knew of DJ's future plans, maybe long-term arrangements, and he was surprisingly
3: helpful. Before working for DJ, I had spent a good deal of time in London working as a cab driver, a taxi driver, so it was no great surprise that uh, I was one of the Entourage expected to accompany Dijay to England for the royal wedding in May uh, 2018. No, he had not been invited to attend, but a good many of his business cronies were going, and they decided it was an opportunity for a business holiday. Dijay had a couple of spacious apartments uh, he was happy to rent out for a place and uh, a few guest lists were being drawn up.
2: I had buried Giselle, my beautiful daughter, as an old scrap of humanity, and my handsome, attentive, loving husband, a few days later, in much the same condition. There was little doubt in my mind why this had happened, and whose fault it was. I wanted to kill him. It was an idle fantasy, but kept me going.
4: As a young student, I had visited London occasionally in order to attend the annual science fairs. They had been the highlight of my life. England was about to go into a festive mode to celebrate the royal wedding. With my health waning, I thought it a good opportunity to take a holiday.
3: I do not know when or how it was that uh, we began to talk not so much of would it not be wonderful if Dijé died, to would it not be wonderful if we could kill Dijé, to how we will kill Dijé, and finally where and when. Adrienne had the
4: motive, André had the knowledge, and I had no worry of getting caught. I knew I was getting sicker, so I was going to die myself soon anyway. I simply prayed I would have the time and strength to do one good final deed. I resigned from teaching and booked myself a flight to London in early May.
3: A number of us flew to London on May 14th in DJ's private jet. And we had selected a couple of girls to entertain him on the flight, so we did not see much of him. Then uh, we were all picked up by limos and taken to Portland Place. This was his favorite pad within in London. It, uh, uh, I was given a schedule uh, by his personal assistant, Judith Severn, and given instructions uh, as to where to pick up a limo from a garage in uh, nearby Meuse. There was a small bed sitter above it. Uh, and it was made clear to me that I was expected to be on call 24-7, but also expected to be able to find all the top clubs and private uh, houses on a list given me. I came in on a regular
4: flight on Air France. Of course, as you can imagine, the entire
3: city of London was a buzz.
4: The only news in town was the royal wedding. Fortunately, I had arranged to do a house exchange with my sister, who had bought a flat just off from Trafalgar Square. Being an anti-monarchist, she was only too happy to get away from all the pageantry.
3: But I must admit, I enjoyed it. Being on call twenty 7 meant uh, that it was natural for me to be in Portland Place most of the day. So long as I kept away from the mezzanine floor, which was basically DJ's private residence. But uh, more important was his specially designed secure meeting rooms. André had told me that DJ always built what
4: is commonly known as a panic room in each of his houses or units. Much like the room seen in the Jodie Foster movie of 2002. It had all the security panels, along with lead paneling, so that no one could record anything. I spent my days at the local Department of Housing and Infrastructure. For a small fee, you're able to view architectural plans of all modern dwellings. To be on the safe side, I took plans of DJ's three London houses. I was particularly interested in where the air conditioning vents were placed in the panic rooms, and where the outlets were. When I passed the Godard book on to André, I had already had the plan in my head for a long time. While it seemed a perfect way to murder this monster and his cronies, the opportunity had never seemed possible. But with André's help, it was. Back in 2002, I had been fascinated first with the I Godard book, then David Finch's movie. Because about the same time there had been a big worry about Legionnaire's disease being contracted through air-conditioning vents via nitrous oxide. Sickness had occurred on long air flights attributed to air conditioning and even death in old people's homes.
3: I'd been a bright kid in school. i had even skirted with the idea of being an electrical engineer based on my love of motors and machinery. But the easy laugh that beckoned just uh, at the time I should have been studying for university. But now, well, the fascination of what I was reading and listening to just got all of the old interest bubbling. Could we really pump nitrous oxide gas into Dijes' panic room, and would it be deadly? News about the cost of the wedding began to circulate: the dress, the
4: golden carriage, the security guards. The money spent was obscene.
3: So was the money J.J. was spending on his guests? Special foods were flown in a private jet. Uh, salmon from Alaska would be on the table within hours of uh, being caught. A chef with special skills would fly in from India with a luncheon menu. And girls, young girls, barely out of adolescence. Well, they come from everywhere. It, it, all excited to be part of the inn crowd. I spent my days going to and from the airport, non-stop. We spent any
4: spare time André had talking, researching, planning. I explained to him about flammable liquids such as hydrogen, butane, methane, and ethylene. Could we get hold of them in quantity? Could we smuggle them into Portland Place? And when the time came, could we become the villains? In the end... It was all too easy.
3: The day after the wedding, dishes had the best wines brought up from the cellar, and uh, the kitchen was in a frenzy of activity. A marquee was erected on the rooftop, and a priority party was obviously being planned.
4: Andre told me that this would be the best day for our plan, and I needed to be sure I was ready.
3: I spent the next few hours uh, on driving special guests from their hotels in, to Portland Place. Yeah, I recognized uh, uh, many of them f- as uh, long-term business partners, and in some instances, even members of the Triad family. It was all a secret uh, One by one, they all disappeared into the panicum. This meeting was going to involve high finance, probably at the government levels. I was already nervous. I
4: hadn't expected so many people to be involved. I had recognized some celebrities from their photos.
3: I was just about to communicate with Victor when something odd happened. Everyone began to come out of the panic room and I saw Judith Saverne uh, direct them to take the elevator up to the, the rooftop. The meeting was over. From my position in the basement, I could hear them leave. I was both upset and relieved. Suddenly, I got a call on my mobile. It was DJ with an interactive to meet him at the rear entrance with the limousine in five minutes. I was to take him, Wang Ho, and Epson to the Grosvenor house premises. Then I was to go to the airport and pick up two special guests who are coming in from Macau by private jets.
4: I was not really surprised. I had already seen that the panic room at Grosvenor house was far superior to the others. This was obviously going to be a high-level meeting.
3: Apparently, Judith Severn had already arranged for an ample of wines and finger food to be set up, and the staff dismissed. So once the three were in the room, I was sent on my way to the airport. Although I had not previously known DJ's visitors by name, I recognized them by sight as members of an A close-knit group of billionaire businessmen involved with the money laundering side of the casinos. Returning to Grosvenor House, I took them straight to the meeting room, where I was given strict instructions not to disturb. André let me in
4: at the back door. I had everything I needed. What was more, knowing those three
3: bastards were in the room, I had no qualms. Once Victor was in place, I went to the control room and reversed the code to the panic room so that the door locked from the outside. Then I dismantled the surveillance cameras and destroyed the CCTV footage.
4: I knew the basement housed the main artery of the air conditioning unit. It took me 10 minutes to pump in the gas. Then I closed the vent and left.
3: We met up at the horse and groom Fitzrovia, where everyone was still toasting the newlyweds. I don't think there was one person still sober. It has long been established as a, a, a working man's pub.
4: A working man's pub was perfect for a man like me. I had always worked
3: hard, but the last few hours had given me a sense of achievement I had never felt before. Because the panic room had been secret and the visitors top security, we could not be sure until a few days later when the news bulletin came through. I felt as if a huge weight had been lifted. I flew back to Paris, Adrian and a new life.
1: have been rushed to one of the homes of billionaire Donald T Johnson where it appears there has been some form of gas leak into a private meeting room. Detective Inspector Cummings from the Central London Bureau of Investigations said that although no one was in residence in Mr Johnson's home at Grosvenor House a caretaker had noticed some suspicious odours coming from the basement where Mr Johnson is known to have had a panic room installed. It was first thought that Mr Johnson was at his home in Portland Place. However, when police tried to notify him, he could not be found. Police are treating his disappearance as suspicious. We will bring you an update as soon as more news comes to hand.
0: listening to The French Connection written and produced by Prianda Cross Performers are Anita Roy-Dobbs as Adrienne the mother Reynard Lebeu as André the courier Karim Cronfly as Victor the teacher and Sarah Pechel as Michelle the dance instructor For more information about this and other episodes in the series please go to progressivemurdermysteriepodcast.com Thank you.